HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box and Clover, working together to provide restaurants with even more technology for a better hospitality experience. Visit getbento.com better to learn more. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, October 5th, 2022. This is our 335th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. For my regular listeners, we've had a little change of scheduling, so you can plan for a future episode with Rani Mazumdar and Chef Chintan Padia, the co-owners of Unapologetic Foods. They will be coming on sometime this season, so stay tuned for that. And today, my guest is a fabulous wine and spirits authority who I will introduce fully in a moment. First, is I will start out with my PR tip, as I do on every show, and then later I will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to have fun while learning. As kids, we are often taught in an entertaining way, combining teaching with games and play, making education more joyful. But as we get older and mature, so to speak, we tend to lose that playfulness, getting very serious with our lives. So it's important to remember that we can loosen up a bit while still expanding our minds. Getting wiser does not have to mean losing our spirit. So let's never unlearn fun, because that's no fun. That's my tip today. Okay, I'm very excited to have my guest joining me. It is Anthony Giglio, a wine and spirits authority, writer, educator, and raconteur, who has motivated countless imbibers to trust their own tastes and relax the rules. Anthony has appeared as a guest on NBC's Today Show, Food Network, CNBC, and more. He has been a speaker at food and wine festivals and events around the world, 
Currently serving as wine reporter for CBS News, Anthony's writing has appeared in publications like New York Magazine, Esquire, and Travel and Leisure, and he's been a longtime contributing editor to Food and Wine Magazine. He is also the wine director for the American Express Centurion Global Lounge Networks and the author of 11 books or maybe 12 books, I'm going to find out, on wine, cocktails, and travel. And without further ado, hi, Anthony. Welcome to the show. Hey, Shari. It's so great to be here. And sorry for putting you through the paces with the American Express Centurion Global Lounge Network. It's a lot. It is a lot. You know, I looked at it on paper and I thought I practiced, but I did get a little tongue-tied there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And is it, how many books is it? I mean, it is 12, but the 12th is really a tiny, like, it's literally a passport called Passport to Italy. And it's, so it's about a 14-page passport book, but it's like a Cliff Notes to Italy that I did for a special program a few years back. And I worked on it really long and hard, so I, I put it with the rest of my books. As you should. It definitely counts. And I mean, this is, of course, that little summary is the very short bio of what you've accomplished, and yet it is packed full of incredible things. It's pretty amazing. So thank you. Let's, and I've been meaning, as as you know, every time I've seen you at events, which is often, I'm always like, you have to come on my podcast. So I'm really thrilled we're doing this today. And I always start out with my guests and go back to the beginning and try to find out, like, how did you get into this hospitality world? So do you want to take us back a bit? Um, yeah, I, I also, I want to, I, I want to play into your PR tip of the day where the keyword is fun and use that throughout as the underpinning for what I think is my unlikely success because <laughs> I've, I've figured out a way, a, a style of, of communicating and teaching and, and speaking in this, you know, very snooty tooty wine world that seems to resonate with a lot of people by rejecting anything but having fun with this and, and letting everyone remember that this is ultimately fermented grape juice we're talking about and stop, stop treating it like it's a trophy or something that you have to know or memorize or know better. But um, hospitality um, goes way back into my family. I, mean, I, I remember as a child uh, just being blown away by the throwdowns that I would see in the kitchen between my grandmothers and my mom and my aunts. And, and so I think like the, the fact that we, we had a lot of gatherings, always big, massive Sunday, all day, you know, lunch, dinner kind of things. And the house just constantly filled with people. Um, it was inevitable that I would either take to hospitality or hate it. <laughs> and I took to it. Um, and, I, and I think that, that that propelled me into this world, um, maybe indirectly uh, in why now. But, you know, if, I guess if, if you listen to my, my, uh, my talk at the Moth 10 years ago, um, I explained that I probably should have been a chef, but um, 40 years ago, that wasn't, that wasn't a possibility in my, my very macho family for me to be a cook. So I, I wound up becoming a journalist and then writing about it instead. But um, I'm all over the place. So why don't you take me where you want, where you want to take me, Sherry? Yeah, well, um, we, and, and just with my, with my tip, I was obviously thinking of you when I put that together. No, oh. I, no, <laughs> no, I did. Well, I was thinking of you with, because I know you do have fun with 
educating people about wine and more. So um, I'm glad. I'm glad you touched. You wanted to touch on that too. Um, so so. How did you get started as a journalist? Like, where did you where did you get a break, or what was your first like big writing gig? I'm gonna call out two people that uh, as an example of how all it takes is a you know a quip, a comment, a compliment from one person in your everyday life to maybe reset your whole trajectory or bounce you in a completely different direction or whatever the metaphor should be. But um, I never thought I was a great writer. I knew I was a great storyteller because I come from a family of storytellers. My dad is an amazing owner of the room, as they say. And so I always had a great sense of humor, I think, and and an ability to tell good stories. But um, I don't think I connected it to paper until eighth grade. And, you know, this teacher that I was terrified of, her name was Marilyn Drennan. Um, we, we connected later in life on Facebook and she just passed away during the pandemic, but she, uh, she was the one who wrote, you are the best writer in the entire eighth grade. Please don't forget this. And I, I actually saved that little blue book with an essay I did on the, I think it was the Pleistocene era. We were doing a science project or something. And, and I, I tucked that away and thought like, wow, maybe I could be a writer. Um, and then in high school, I would you know, I would get further and further, further with the school paper and teachers would tell me that I was a good writer and I should pursue it and pursue it and pursue it. So I, I, I definitely went into college with the thought that I'd be a journalist. And that's, that's what I studied at Fordham. And so, and then what was your first writing job that, because where the places you have in, in your resume and that you've, you've written for, it's, it's a very impressive list and you've been with food and wine now for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, so, uh, I would say the, 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 how do I put this? The, the way it all worked out is pretty amazing. Um, just out of college, I get a job at travel and leisure. Actually, before I graduated, I got a job at travel and leisure, which is food and wine sister publication back at the time. And this was in the late eighties, everything was still owned by American express, all those luxury magazines. Um, and I didn't last very long cause I had a big chip on my shoulder and thought I should be writing, you know, cover stories. And that was, <laughs> the hierarchy there was massively steep, um, with a lot of, uh, well-known uh, editors and writers that I know today, but, um, I didn't last very long and I wound up leaving to go take a job as, uh, as a reporter at a finance magazine, uh, completely opposite unsexy direction. But I wanted to really re- be reporting and learn how to be a reporter and a writer and, and get my hands dirty. And my editor there was the other shout out. Her name is Dora Hattress. And I think her married name is Johnson, Dora Hattress Johnson. She was my editor. She was 10 years older than me. And, but she was single. I was single. And we would hang out and you know have a coffee break every day and talk about our dating life or our social life or whatever. She's the one who said to me one day out of the blue, why aren't you writing about wine? And I looked at her like she had six heads. And I said, I guess because I'm not a 75-year-old retired British lawyer. I mean, that's who I see writing in Decanter and the Wine Spectator. And we laughed about it. And she she looked at me for a second. She goes, I don't know. Maybe we need a 22-year-old to shake things up. And um, I like that, it. I like it's, her. It stuck with me. It stuck with me. And Shari, less than like a month later, I'm reading Details Magazine when I had, you know, that was brand new back in the early 90s. And um, it says 92 careers for 1992. 
And one of them is become a sommelier, meet chicks. And it was like, you know, one of those really funny uh, little vignettes. They put it there. There were 92 different jobs. And I, so I looked at it, it was the sommelier society, which still exists in New York City. Um, I called information. I, whenever I tell the story to kids in journalism school, I say there was no internet. We had to call information. And I found the sommelier society and I, be, I, I, I asked if I could sign up. And they said, we have two seats left. Um, classes start next Tuesday at noon. And I said, noon, I, I work. And she said, well, this is for restaurant professionals who work nights. So take it or leave it. So I went back to Dora and I said, remember that idea you had? This is what I figured out. And I told her and she really liked it. But she said the biggest hurdle would be my big fat mouth. And I, I wasn't sure what she meant. And she said, if you tell anybody that I'm letting you leave you know, for a year of Tuesdays, um, we'll both get fired. So what, what are we going to do? And I proposed never taking lunch the rest of the week. So I would eat at my desk for the rest of the year. Um, and then I would leave a jacket on my chair and she would shuffle things. She would cover for me. And she did. She covered me for the whole, no one ever knew I was taking that class. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> when I say you know, I'm the king of hyperbole, but when I say I owe her my career, I, I'm pretty close to, 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 to exact on that. Um, and then she gets even better. She comes to my desk after I get my diploma and I'm still working for her. And she says, please tell me you responded to this ad in the New York Times. And it said, Metropolitan Area Wine Magazine seeks managing editor. And I looked at her and I said, I didn't see it. And I would never answer that because it's managing editor. That's number two on the editorial staff. And I'm still an assistant, you know, like 10, piece, 10 slots down. And she said, it's a wine magazine. Call it now in front of me. And we called and it was Wine Enthusiast. And this is way back when it was brand new. It was still stapled back then. It wasn't even a bound magazine yet. But um, I went to meet uh, Bill Tishman, who used to use the name Tish for short, like Madonna. And um, he said to me, here's the deal. I like you. I'll, I want to hire you. But you'll manage no one because it's just me and you. But I wanted to give a big enough title to attract somebody um, that could write a sentence. And uh, I, I think this will open doors for you by the time you're done with us. And I stayed there for two years and I learned a ton and they sent me to Europe and I, 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 it, it opened a lot of doors. And, um, and that was prior, that was the beginning. That was, that was the very beginning. At night I would leave, their offices were up in Westchester, which I absolutely hated commuting every day, but I would come back and then work at Windows on the World at night with Kevin's Raley at the wine school. So Andrea Robinson hired me as a pourer in the early school, in the wine school back in 92. And um, they liked me and they kept me on to work at the Cellar in the Sky as a sommelier with uh, Alec Bruff's team. And I worked until the night before the bombing in 93 with Dale DeGruff. He and I closed the bar and then went home. And then the next day, everyone lost their jobs or yeah. so, so, something similar like that. And I never went back there again. And that was that I, I was strictly editorial after that. But um while I was at Wine Enthusiast, um, a guy named Randall Lane, who is now the editor-in-chief of Forbes, started a lad mag back in the 90s. Remember when FHM came over from England and it started? It was, this was before um, Maxim really came out like, you know, like as a true frat magazine. But they called it like the lad mags. They were supposed to be like a young GQ, Esquire kind of thing. And Randall founded POV, Point of View Magazine. And it was all editors in their 20s. And he saw me in Wine Enthusiast and asked me if I'd be interested in heading up um, 
the back of the magazine, which was all like seven departments, including food, wine, travel, toys, uh, tech, and sex. I actually had added the sex column um, with uh, actually, Sherry, you have to see her at parties. Um, Baroness Sherry de Borgrave. Do you know Sherry? Oh, yeah, of course. She was my sex columnist. <laughs> <laughs> I met, I mean, I just saw her the other night at an event and I, I've, yeah, I knew, I know about her history a little bit, but I, I didn't meet her until I, well, now I've known her a bit, but, yeah. but after that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so that's, 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 that, that's great. That was the, that was the, uh, the, 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 my fun in the nineties. And then, um, with the dot com, uh, with you know, the internet comes along and then dot, dot com starts to, you know, pop up and I go to drinks.com and, uh, tried to, we tried to reinvent the whole distrib- you know, distribution model in the US. It didn't really work out. Um, but somewhere in between there, there was a million other jobs. Uh, people, you know, because I, with my vocabulary as a sommelier, I was able to start writing about food and I, you know, looking in the wine thuds always, because as a writer, you have to hustle, right? Even if I have a full-time job, I'm not making a lot of money. So I would always work at night. I was a waiter for years into my 20s, um, a bartender actually. Um, and and I would tr- try to find side hustles. But um, I uh, I wound up getting a gig for New Jersey Monthly as the restaurant critic. And I think that, you know, nobody in the city would think anything of that. You know, my New York friends are like, why New Jersey Monthly? But at the time, Brian Miller, the rest, the, who was the food critic of the New York Times, had started out at New Jersey Monthly as the restaurant critic. And so did Anthony Dias Blue, who's now out in San Francisco. But so it had some pedigree uh, before, you know, people before me. And it had an amazing unlimited budget. I would go all over the place and bring three friends. And um, it was great for my dating life. And I, I did it for 10 years. And uh, that, you know, that was just one more you know, one more step on the, on the ladder up. And, um, that opened doors to then writing for Time Out New York when we launched, when they launched it, um, I became a food critic for Worth and for Rob Report. And then I had a long time gig with the New York Sun until they went, they went under, they came back and they went under again. Um, so it's, it's, it's a lot of things happening all together because that's sort of like how, it works for me. At least that's how it worked for me as a writer. That I was always hustling, and there was a lot of things happening concurrently um, while I was doing my day job, and then I'd be doing stuff on the side. And that's probably why um, you you read so many different things in my bio because I I did have my hands in a lot of things, and I still do because I can't help it. I'm a hustler. I'm just I just hustle, hustle, hustle. You certainly are. It's really incredible everything you've done. Talk a little about your. You've had a long time relationship with food and wine and American Express. I mean, that seems to be one that's, it's been consistent for many years, even though, I mean, how has your role changed though over, over the years? So I I have to say, I consider myself super fortunate that those two things that used to be one. So American Express used to own food and wine and they were forced to sell everything off, all the publishing off after the financial crisis back in 08. So they were like, you're, you know, I think the FTC said you're a bank or you're a publishing house. You can't be both. So of course, American Express is a bank first. So they sold off um, Food and Wine and all the other titles to Time Inc. and then to Meredith, and now it's Dot Dash Meredith. Let Barry Diller took over. So like, there's been a million turnovers, and I still right. I've managed to stay in the good graces of the editors, whoever keeps coming in to work for them. But the American Express side, um, Gary Portuese 
who you might know from Authentic Italy Travel and his husband is Sal. Yeah, of Sal, course. Salvatore Rizzo, owner of Degusta was Cooking School, right? I just did an event this last weekend with Sal um, at a restaurant. I work with Cicely Osteria and mm. and Sal and Gary came in ah. together. We we dined there. We had lunch um, a few months ago. So that's um, great. They're 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 fantastic. So Gary and I, of course, know each other through Amex, and he was my first director to hire me. He hired me actually for the American Express um, Centurion Lounge, the first lounge we opened went back ten years ago. Back in Las Vegas was the first one that San Francisco and on and on and on. But he hired me, and then. Um, within a year or two, he had moved on to something else. And so I've had about five directors since then, but that the, so the American express connection, it's been a decade now of the lounges, um, was, you know, directly because of my relationship with food and wine and then food and wine is a whole other stem where, um, I'm still a contributing editor and I still, um, speak at the food and wine classic in Aspen, which, you know, if we're still connecting dots and if, if anyone is drawing a, a family tree here, you'll see, we keep going back to the same names. Um, I got a lucky break, uh, thanks to an unfortunate break for Kevin's rally. So Kevin was my teacher and boss at Windows on the World. Um, this is ten years later, probably. He um, he's speaking at the Food and Wine Classic in Aspen. I was invited as press, and he had to cancel days before the festival for a family uh, emergency. And so Letty Teague was the editor of the the wine editor of Food and Wine. So I was someone on on the uh, marketing side pitched me to the editing side and said you should use Anthony he's you know he's good he's a great speaker and blah 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 and you know they only saw me as a writer but no one knew I was a speaker and I didn't really have a lot of experience with it but I got on stage in front of 250 people and Letty was in row one and I taught Kevin's class and apparently did well enough that they were impressed and asked me to come back. For the last twenty-seven years, so that's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and that, and then, sure, that led to uh, first people in the audience hiring me. People would come up to me and say, "Hey, we'd love you to talk to our company. We'd love to talk to our clients. Can we can we hire you for this and that?" And it was to me unheard of. I was, you know, I still very much lived in the old box of I'm a journalist and I want to be careful about what I do and how I market myself and all those things that are completely out the window now. But I, you know, I, I will say to anybody who who gives me the the soapbox? You know, I'm a I'm a journalist from the '90s, before the internet. Things were very, very, very different, and we all knew what we had to do, and we weren't hustling all over the place with, um, you know, like uh, influencing and and merchandising and all this other stuff that now all these young writers I see are all over the place. Um, and um, so, so that said, um, I, I just. I don't know. I think that it's just, it's just been a fascinating, fascinating um, uh, journey to get to where I am today. But Food & Wine has been a massive, massive part of it because of that, opening that one door for me changed everything. I would say the bulk of my, my work today is, is speaking, not writing. And that's because you know, writing doesn't get doesn't pay what it used to pay in the 90s. I'll, I'll complain to anybody, Shari, and like, you know, we, we came up together. Um, but in different ends of the industry. Um, in the 90s, at the top of my career, I was making $2.50 per word, per word for writing for details. Uh, Pete Wells was my editor at details back then. When, uh, right that's, before he, that's amazing. 
right? That was that was $2.50 a word. That Like when kids today in their 20s hear that, they can't even imagine because they're getting paid $250 an article. I and mean, it could be a thousand words. Yeah. So I, you know, I, and then I'll have editors who come to me and say, so, you know, we, we, uh, we know you have gravitas, so we'll offer you a dollar fifty a word. And I just, you know, and I, I and I appreciate that, and I say thank you because the basement is a dollar. I think for most writers, anybody that I know in my, you know, in my generation, because um, it's it's you know it's a big step backwards. But I always say to editors when I, you know, when I say like, what was your rent in 1997? I just want to know what your cost of living was because I'm supposed to work for less than that now when I used to make X back then. It doesn't make any sense. Nobody can wrap their head around unless you you live through it. But writing really is a easy is for me it's a it's a passion project more than anything else because I can't live on it. And I don't yeah. know how I don't know how people do, honestly. Oh, I hear you. No, it's a hustle and I mean I write here and there li- some articles on Solo travel and dining has been my beat, but it's like that's it's a side thing. I can't imagine if I was, you know, trying to make a living writing. And um also I feel I'm 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 slow. I don't know. I don't know if I'm slow or it's just the writing process, but it's a hustle. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um but let's talk a little about then curated tastings that you're doing? Because is this something you transitioned into more during the pandemic? Yeah. Oh, um, right. So imagine, so I'm doing mostly speaking gigs and it's a lot of wine dinners and team building and things like that with with various companies. Um, March 2020 comes along and I'm feeling good about the summer ahead. I have 12 events and they're all very well paying and I'll be traveling and then I'm leading a group to Italy in June to with Gary's team. And so I had a lot happen, you know, obviously like we all did, we all had these big plans and then the pandemic hit and every single thing was canceled straight out within a week. Like I lost, like it was like dominoes falling. And um, my wife, um, Tony, uh, she said to me, literally like it was the funniest thing when we look at back at it today, she said, Google the word Zoom and figure out what this platform is. She, <laughs> she was hearing about it on work calls. And I said, okay, what do I do with it? And she said, I don't know. Think if you could do some kind of a wine tasting or something like for people just to keep me occupied. Because I was literally, I was, I was in a really dark place at that point. <laughs> like I have nothing to do. I have no, everything's canceled. And I, what are we going to do for money? I literally had called every bank, tuition, everything. I was like asking everyone to just freeze for a while before it all got much easier to do that, but I was freaking out in advance because I knew that I wasn't going to be making any money. Um, and I, I, I don't know, Shari, I, 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 again, I consider myself so fortunate that things fell into place the way they did. I had great relationships with several retailers and I wound up working uh, exclusively with Verve, which is my buddy, Dustin Wilson, uh, who, you know, owns uh, uh, One White Street, but that was before they opened there. He was he's the co-owner of Verve Wines and with Eric Railsback. Yeah. And so I called them and said, we need to come up with a package, like you know, a, a bunch of different packages, like a four packs, four bottles to send to everybody's houses all around the country. Now, in the you know, in the wine trade, everyone knows that we're not 50 friendly states, we're 50 federal republics all with different laws. It has nothing to do with politics. I always say that. Let's just say there's nothing to do with politics. It's complete tariff uh, blockade everywhere. Like from New York to New Jersey, I can't 
send wine from my office on Fifth Avenue to my house in Jersey City because it's not allowed. It's just like this it's ridiculous Byzantine laws that are laid out since prohibition. Um, so we, we had to get pretty creative. And I'll say that during the pandemic, you'll recall like FedEx stopped using uh, signatures for alcohol because they didn't want to have to make people have contact. And it opened the floodgates for interstate shipping of everything. So I, we were able to ship not Verve itself. I had a third-party carrier. We shipped all over the place, and I was able to um, reach you know practically every state. And and I was telling all my corporate clients, "Hey, I have a model here that might work." And I wasn't certainly not the first to do it, but um, I I had a lot of I have, a, I, have a, I had a lot of clients who I already who already knew me and believed in you know who believed in me and and were willing to take it on sight unseen. And it just took off like a rocket, and um, it was it was like sort of like the Lucy, the I Love Lucy chocolate factory, where at, at some points there was just so much happening I couldn't keep up with the conveyor belt. I was doing three and four <laughs> taste three and four tastings a day, and it's you know seventy five minutes, fifty minute break, seventy five minutes, fifteen minute break, seventy five minutes. My, my like my kids would be like running in and out, pouring water, replacing cheese because everything's you know it's like we're entertaining out of the house. And um, at the at the end of the uh, all told, uh, as of I think August of this year, because I'm still doing virtual tastings, um, I think the last count was around 440 virtual tastings for over 15,000 people in nine countries. Because it also expanded globally, so I had people hire me to do happy hours in Tel Aviv and Madrid and Rome, and it was just nuts. Just, just, I wouldn't be able to ship them wine. I would call local wine cool. stores. Yeah, I mean, so <laughs> that that changed everything. It, it just opened up, and the, and so like the, the the referral network on that is what really fed it all. So people who were on them as guests would then hire me to, to speak to their clients and their you know whatever, and it just kept going and going and going, and it's still happening. I, I I don't know when it'll end. I think a lot of people like the idea of being able to bridge teams across the country versus, you know, hosting like a specific market, like, oh, we're going to do an Atlanta. I'd hosted two dinners in Atlanta two weeks ago, like for two different bank groups. But like a lot of people are like, no, I want to be able to bring everyone together from around the country for some kind of a, a celebration or a meeting or a, a talk. And and then we, we just have a lot of fun with it. It's it's four wines, three or four wines, whatever they want, whatever the budget is. Some, some companies will send beautiful boxes of cheese and charcuterie from Murray's Cheese to every house. Some people send real crystal glasses, cheese boards. I mean, it's nuts. Like everybody has different budgets and different uh, expectations, but at the very least, all you need is the four bottles or three bottles from me and a bag of chips, and we could have a perfect wine tasting. Oh, wow. So fun. And so, so uh, I'm glad you figured out Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's, uh, I, I have to give my credit to, my, to Tony. She, she was the one who said, she's like, she's like, I taught him about Zoom. It's really funny because I had no idea. And I really, didn't know what I was going to do with it. Um, yeah. So, so I, I, yeah, I, I'm super happy with the way that that worked out and that, um, and it's still going. Well, that's awesome. Before we take a break, one more question. So how did you meet Tony? Bartending. <laughs> I was really, I'm thinking, because you mentioned a couple of times a single life and I know, I mean, she's been for people who don't know your wife is Antonia she goes by Tony Lopresti, and that's fine. That, that's fine, except for when she's a mom to the kids, she's Antonia Giglio, but she's Tony Lopresti. Um, okay. And and she's been with with food and wine or travel and leisure yeah. for a long time as well. Oh, 20, 
three years maybe. And, and that's a coincidence, by the way. She used to be at Amex Corporate. She was at Amex Corporate back in the 90s. Um, and we, we love to laugh about this because she came from one of the first integrated or digital marketing teams when, you know, again, like for a lot of listeners who are very young, like the internet was brand new in like 1997. So she started in this company in 1997 to teach media companies how to add value to pages, page advertising with digital, you know, when you would, you know, early internet ads. And she was hired by American Express to help integrate, they call it Director of Integrated Marketing was her title. So she went to Amex and was working with all the magazines and whatever they called the luxury group back then, it was like seven magazines, um, one of which was Funuwan. Fast forward to, again, the financial crisis, which American Express had to change everything. And when part of it was they dissolved her department as they were consolidating to sell. And they gave her a choice of food and wine or travel and leisure. So she went to food and wine. Everyone thinks that I helped to get the job or something like that. But no, she was already at Amex long before any of that. So um, yeah, she's been there forever. Okay. Well, I'm glad I asked because I didn't know how you guys met, but I did. I didn't know it was through bartending. <laughs> yeah, I was a bartender in Hoboken at a great margarita bar called East LA. Still there. And um, one of our mutual friends introduced us because um, she thought, you're both from these very Italian families and you'll like each other just on that, just based on that, which, which was the funniest thing to both of us because once we got to know each other, her parents are from Italy. I'm third generation. We're not at all alike. It like it like it's 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 <laughs> complete apples and oranges. Our families. It's pretty funny. Oh wow! And to give to give her a shout out. I just um, we just saw each other because she was inducted as a new member for Ladam Descoffier New York. Yes. And yes, yes, yes. Um, congratulations! I'm very excited to to have her as a part of the the organization. And we had a great event at El Coro. So. Um, Small world, it's all tied together. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly right. And on that note, let's take a little break. Uh, we will come back. We'll play my speed round, talk some industry news. I have my solo dining experience and the final question. So stay with us. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. With over 70% of diners researching restaurants online before they go in person, a strong digital presence is more important than ever. BentoBox's website, marketing tools, and commerce platform help restaurants get discovered online, make more money, and engage diners in person and virtually. And Clover's world-class POS and payment system streamlines daily operations for a totally seamless experience. With Bento Box and Clover working together, restaurants now have an all-in-one solution that makes it easy to deliver better hospitality from the kitchen to tableside and beyond. Bento Box and Clover, the right recipe for hospitality. Visit getbento.com slash better to learn more. That's getbento.com slash B-E-T-T-E-R. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and my guest today is Anthony, Anthony Giglio, one of the most entertaining wine, food, spirits, and travel authorities on the planet. 
So that's written out <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> My mother wrote that, I think. I oh, no good. <laughs> I said, I'm using that. And, uh, <laughs> um Okay, so Anthony, it's time for my speed round. Um, what this is, and I'm going to name a couple things, and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Okay. Okay, here we go. Eat in at home or eat out at a restaurant? Eat at home. Indoor dining or alfresco dining? Alfresco. Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Can we have them in a specific order? <laughs> All. Do you have a specific order? I'd like cocktails. I'd like, I'd like, uh, co- mm, let me see. It's either cocktails or champagne. You can't do both. So I would say cocktail and then wine and then a great amaro when we're done. Okay, but you're not going to do the mocktail. I'll, that no, will, that no. will be my drink. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Sorry, Sherry. <laughs> we talked I'll about this the other day. The mix. You are uh, you are uh, you wear the badge of courage. How many years now? Twenty. Amazing. Congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And I I know people don't like a lot of people don't love the term uh, mocktail, but it, it's to the point. But I keep seeing on menus so many different different, you know, spiritless and oh my zero God. proof. And- Shari, that's a, it's the, the category is exploding. 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 I just got a sample box of non-alcohol wines. And I would say most of them were pretty horrible, but th- there was a beautiful uh, Chardonnay sparkling. So, that, you know, like, like real champagne, which is made with Chardonnay, like a Blanc de Blanc, but it was de-alcoholized Chardonnay from France, bottled in Germany, where the technology apparently is really great for de-alcoholization. And it was delicious. Delicious. I mean, I, I, yeah. I don't know if I would compare it to champagne, but it was a delicious, refreshing, beautiful, acidic, refreshing, sparkling beverage. And I thought, wow, if I were, you know, if, 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 if I had the choice between this and water, this is delicious. Like, I, I would definitely drink this if there was nothing else in the house. Yeah. Just, but because like, I wouldn't say the same about the other wines, I wouldn't drink them. They were pretty horrible. Yeah, well, it's really it is exploding uh, this category, and I haven't had that many non-alcoholic wines. But I just had dinner the other night at Coleman, um, which is Marcus Glocker's new place, and they poured me a glass of a non-alcoholic wine that was like a Riesling, and it was delicious. Yeah, I was yeah. I was like, whoa, what is happening? But 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 yeah, and, and the technology now behind canned cocktails, macchia mocktails, cocktails, um, yeah. is is so good uh, that that it's really hard to tell that there's no alcohol in some of these beverages. They just taste; they're just really well made. There's fresh juices. Carbonation actually adds to the ability to use those fresh ingredients and keep them fresh. It's it's all the secret is why that everything is sparkling because the carbonation actually helps keep things from spoiling. So it just it's getting better yeah. and better and better and better. It really is. Okay, so all right, we're gonna get back to the game. <laughs> Sorry, no, it was a, well. I both king, of us, both of us, the, the king of, of king of of, uh, of diversion. Sorry. Yeah, but and it's amazing you kept what that just reminded me of your story at the beginning that you didn't tell anyone about your secret for for leaving leaving the office that you right. you were able to keep your mouth shut so that's amazing <laughs> that's cool okay um here we go back to the game tasting menu or a la carte oh a la carte 
Small plates or large plates? Small. Communal table or chef's counter? Ah, uh, I love a big table. I really do love a big table. I'm going to say I'm going to say communal table. Okay, have your big table. Tipping or all inclusive charge? Oh, I like to tip. I love to tip. Okay. I, I, I and I, I feel like that's that's a really nice thing to be able to do after a meal, if, especially if, if if someone's worked really hard and done a great job. I want to go crazy and tip them beyond what they would have gotten. Yeah. With the all inclusive, yeah. Okay, how about auctioneering or bidding on an auction? I have been an auctioneer for a few years now. That's another hat I wear. So I'm going to say I like auctioneering, and I'm too cheap. To, I'm too cheap to bid. I picked that up online. I don't ask everyone <laughs> that because <laughs> auctioneering is that is a skill. I mean, no, it, I'm going to I'm going to qualify it, Sherry, and say I'm not that guy who does the. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I, but I, I've been asked to do it sort of like it, it just, it, it evolved into this from me being like, oh, you're the MC. And what, by the way, do you mind just doing the auction at the end? Like it's, <laughs> it turned into that. So I, 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 I think because of my ability to read an audience, uh, engage and with my other hat of being, uh, you know, a multitasker, I'm able to look out into a crowd and keep a lot of it going, like keep everyone straight, keep calling, calling, like I, and I, and I, I naturally speak very fast as it is. I just laugh when I watch real auctions. I'm about to host um, uh, uh, an auction in Scottsdale at the end of this month um, called uh, Vino Constelli. It's for cancer research. Uh, the, uh, I think it's, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm blanking on the, the foundation name, Gates, I think. Um, and they asked me if I could auctioneer. And I said to them, I have nothing to show you, but I've done it. And they hired a guy whose video I, I looked at, and he's the guy. He does the the super, super fast, fast, yeah. fast um, bidding like you see in the movies. And he's got a Southern accent, so it's even better. It's just it's awesome. I can't wait to work with him. Oh, cool. Well, um, it's, yeah, another, another, another job of yours. That's, that's impressive. Okay, um, a few more. I got teaching virtual classes or in person? In person. Can't beat in person. No. Okay. Cheese plate or dessert? Cheese, a thousand percent. <laughs> I always say, Shari, I'd rather drink my calories than, <laughs> than have dessert. Well, cheese and wine, it's always been a good pairing. Yeah. And last one is Manhattan or Brooklyn? Manhattan. There you go. That's the game. Because <laughs> you got to have fun. You got that's my my fun part of the show. Oh my god! I, I'm just imagining all of my Brooklyn friends with the pitchforks out now. Saying, really, <laughs> really. But I've revealed how old I am. We remember Shari when there was only Manhattan. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so well, Brooklyn. Brooklyn has only made it harder for me to, to get, you know to go have fun because now I have to cross two rivers and uh, just a pain. Anyway, that's that's just me. All good. All good. Okay, so for industry news, I picked out an article that was in the New York Times, and the title is, A Martha Stewart Restaurant Has Opened in Las Vegas. Is that a good thing? The original food and lifestyle influencer has never been involved in a restaurant until now, and this is by Pete Wells. So... 
This is a long piece Pete just wrote about Martha's new restaurant in Las mm-hmm. Vegas. And um, it's a good read. I, I I did at one point have a, have a little moment. I think I left um, when I, when it said um, it's, it's not, he said it's not really Miss um, Stewart's first restaurant, more the first Martha Stewart themed restaurant. Yes. I don't know. When I read that line, I was like, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I also think it's it's it you know the way he went about um, taking us through like what that looks, what that really means. Like, is it really her restaurant? It's being hyped as her restaurant. I looked at Instagram a few you know when that when it opened last summer, and I thought, oh, it's she's got a restaurant. Wow, it's her first restaurant. Um, and not taking it any further than than that, he of course is a, you know did the digging and figured out that it wasn't hers. She's it's, it's all licensing. Um, and it's important to say to people, because I think people who go there and think they're going to see Martha Stewart, you know, in the kitchen are going to be sadly disappointed. It's not that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's a huge restaurant. It's 194 seats and it's called the Bedford by Martha Stewart. And it's in the Paris Las Vegas hotel and casino. Um, and yeah, he did do some digging and um, I mean, it, it's, I mean, I don't know. It's, 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 I was trying to think, do I, would I go, if I was out in Vegas, like first I was like, okay, I wouldn't, I'm not going to, I wouldn't go here. And then a part of me was like, well, actually I'm a little curious. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, although Shai, didn't you find it strange that there's a, you know, the chicken is $89, but yeah. the steak is 37. I'm like, wait, what? why is this steak 150? Like, <laughs> You know, and the eighteen dollar potato or the sixteen dollar potato, whatever it is, like I mean, the 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 prices are all over the place. It's and that they mash it. I don't know. They have a lot of table side presentations and things they're doing presentation wise didn't seem very Martha like. Um, but the decor, I don't know. The decor just. I mean, I, I mean, she's. I mean, Martha Stewart. It said, I think, it in it quote in the article that at one point her company is worth a one billion dollars or yeah. more. Yeah. I mean, the, what she's built over her career uh, is is beyond words, really. And the fact, and she's also eighty one, and she just keeps going. Yeah, she's yeah. she's just she's a she's a dynamo, and. He talked about the two Marthas, Martha the Powerful and Martha the Tasteful. And, um, <laughs> right. And, and, and though they usually work in tandem, it's not quite clear that they worked in tandem here. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was a brilliant metaphor. I mean, I thought it was a great setup. I, I liked it. I mean, how I did, did you feel too. About it? I mean, I liked, I liked, oh, and also um, another thing that got my eye that I, th- I was going to ask you about. He said, um, she, they have uh, Martha Teenies, and it's using a <laughs> bison grass vodka with vermouth and lemon twist. Are you familiar with bison grass vodka? You know what? When I read that, I, I immediately was at my desk at POV Magazine in 1996. <laughs> There was a there was a bison grass vodka whose name completely left my brain. That I remember there was one blade of grass in every bottle, and so I don't remember what it was. And I I I I should Google it. I, we could probably find it in ten seconds. But um, yeah, I remember that. That was just it was a thing. There was a thing back in the nineties where there was a vodka with a bison. Okay, <laughs> with, I was- grass, with grass in it, like a, a flat, one blade of grass growing in the, in the, that had been snipped and preserved in vodka. 
Um, so yeah, I, 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 I thought of that. I'm like, oh my God, I bet you she's using that vodka I haven't heard of in 30 years. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. So anyone who's out in Vegas, um, go check out Martha's restaurant. <laughs> And, and I, yeah, I think I, I think I would definitely at least do a, a walk through or, you know, check it out if I wouldn't. Well, sorry. I mean, we, we know, I mean, we know how this works, right? He writes that review. You have to imagine that heads are rolling out there now. Um, staff retraining. There's so much that will, I mean, it, it can't possibly be that there are those mistakes again anytime soon. Like I can't even imagine how he got a lukewarm chicken and a cold potato when, I mean, clearly they, there's no picture of him in the kitchen <laughs> or it's just such a circus of a, a big restaurant that nobody noticed him, right? But like, even that said, what I mean is, I think that they will be a better restaurant because of that review, because it will have, it will, it will light a fire, especially with Martha attached to it and him drawing such yeah. distinct parallels. She's probably on the phone with them immediately <laughs> saying, this needs to be fixed yesterday. I'm imagining, I'm just imagining, but like, I, I almost think like, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a takedown, but he, he balanced it nicely, but I think that there's, he didn't destroy it and they could easily fix the things that, you know, that he described as, as, as mistakes. Although an $89 chicken is never going to happen for me. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> a bit, I mean, but, but having when every time I've been out to Vegas and, and dining there, it's pricey. I mean, Everything is a, a bit more, I think, in restaurants um, in Vegas. Yeah. And so, um, but I do like going out there every, you know, every couple of years, I kind of do like a couple, a few day trip. I like checking out the restaurants in the scene and, um, and seeing some shows and all that. But um, yeah. So, all right. We'll see what changes um, happen, um, as Anthony said. Um, based on this piece, which I also, I also like that Pete went out there and to review it and kind yeah. of mixes up what he's covering in the New York times. Yeah. What, what, what you said is true though. It, 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 it's a big piece, right? I wondered if it was a review and then I realized I didn't see it at the top. It said critics notebook. So I wondered if it was going to have stars and all that underneath it. It didn't, but I thought, wow, for critics notebook, that's a pretty deep dive. Like, you know, when you think of critics notebook, it's like a quick flip of the page. Like, you know, like literally like a yeah. reporter's notebook where they're just saying, uh, you know, Sherry Bayer just opened a restaurant, blah, 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 quick, like who she is, what we should know, and then two dishes to know and be done, like in and out. That was a long critic's notebook. So. It was very long. Yeah, it was longer <laughs> than I think his, his his reviews he's been doing too. Right. So, so. yeah. It, a lot it, to it say. Commensurate with the weight of Martha Stewart involved. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, before my solo dining, I have a, a quick announcement the Roots Fund, a nonprofit dedicated to creating inclusive opportunities for communities of color through the wine industry, announced that they have opened two different scholarship applications. Um, they are designed to help people of color advance in education in the wine industry and break into the industry. And the applications right now, it's um, scholarship guidelines and applications are available at therootsfund.org, and they're giving awards between $1,000 and $20,000. So um, people can go check it out. Uh, their application deadline is actually coming up this Friday, October 7th. So um, short notice on this, but it was sent to me and I wanted to share it 
with all of you. So um, anyone interested, go check that out. It's therootsfund.org. Okay, this week for my solo dining experience, it's at Joe's of Avenue U. Decided to share an Italian experience. Okay, so here's the rundown. The location, 287 Avenue U in the Gravesend neighborhood of Brooklyn, New York City. The concept is a Brooklyn tradition specializing in traditional Sicilian Palermo-style cuisine. The current or recent owner, from what I found, is Leonardo Lavarde. Why did I go? Well, I was curious to check this place out. Um, I've been to Sicily on a solo trip, and as I mentioned earlier, I've, I've represented a restaurant called Sicily Osteria on Restaurant Row in New York City. And um, this is a Sicilian landmark, and so I figured it's about time I checked this place out. So my experience, um, this is a couple of weeks ago at the end of the summer, I decided to rent a car and go out to the beach out at the Rockaways in Reese Park because I really hadn't done that all summer. And I was like, I need at least one trip out to the New York City beaches. And um, on my after after my time at the beach, I, I went for a late lunch, early dinner, because um, it's it's nearish there. It's we're looking on the map. It's like kind of makes sense to hit it when you're in that neighborhood. The place outside is kind of it's kind of a nondescript building. It has big yellow signage though with the name on the facade. And when you enter, there's the first room. They have a display of uh, a lot of takeout dishes to go. And then in the adjacent room, um, I checked in with the hostess. She told me I could sit wherever I wanted to. was not that busy at that time. So I took a booth in the center of the room. There was lots of booths. And um, my server was great. She was she was patient with me as I figured out what I wanted to get because it was a really big menu. And, of course, as I'm asking her for her uh, advice. She's, you know, every, she's saying everything's great. You can't go wrong. So, um, ultimately I was very happy with my decision. I'll tell you what I got. And, uh, I had, I had a really nice time. So what did I get? Well, I went with the Pinelli, which is their chickpea fritters and it's a Sicilian specialty. And then I got the pasta chip, Sardi, which is a pasta with sardines and wild fennel. And I posted a picture recently online and Polly G from Polly G's Pizza approved. He said it was a good order. So I felt good about that. Um, it also, my meal came with bread and butter and they also give you breadcrumbs as a garnish to put on your pasta. My take, well, the Pinelli were delicious. The fritters that came with a lemon to squeeze on it. Their style was these the very large square shapes. Um, and there were three of them, light and tasty. And then the pasta, wouldn't say it's the prettiest pasta. And it's, I would say, I would describe it as weirdly just delicious. Um, I, as I ate it, the more I ate it, the more I got into it. And I thought it was, it was fantastic. I mean, it's a mix of sardines and fennel. So it's, it's kind of funky. And I think my server was a little surprised. I liked it so much because it's, I think it's, um, it's a unique, flavor profile. I mean, it's a very popular pasta there. So, but I think for a first timer, it might be a little like not what you expected. So I'm glad I got it. I would definitely, I would definitely order it again. And um, it was a big portion. I barely made a dent in it, to be honest. It was a lot of pasta there. Okay. So the ambiance, it's, um, it's a casual space. I'd say it's like no nonsense of 
design. It's um, got some big booths or booths throughout the space and seating along the sides. Um, and they have wall-sized murals of landscapes. And it's kind of like a casual designer-esque type setting. I'd say it's perfect for an Italian feast with friends and family. Interesting tidbit. Uh, it's one of the oldest and most respected Sicilian restaurants. Uh, this this And they opened a second location apparently in Staten Island, but it has closed from what I saw online. I don't know if that was pandemic related, but I'm assuming it was. Personal fun fact. Uh, so when I left, I stopped by another Italian-American institution, L&B Spumoni Gardens, which I've been to before. I've actually been to it when I, also when I've gone out to the beach. Um, and they're known for their Sicilian square slices, which I got some to go. But while I was there, I got their Spumoni, which is fantastic. They're fabulous uh, Italian ice, ice cream. So I had, it was like, it was a good meal, really good meal putting those two restaurants together. Um, the cost of my meal at Joe's was $27, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes. They don't have a website, but their Instagram is Joe's of Avenue U. And there you go. And Anthony, I'm dying to know, have you been there? I have not been there, but I'm intrigued. Oh, okay. I was assuming, I was thinking maybe like you knew it, like you'd been a regular there or something. Sherry, so I don't think you'd be surprised when I when I draw your you know your you to the logic of this that I don't I cook Italian every night of the week I don't go out for it <laughs> I barely ever go out to it unless I'm invited to a tasting or something like that but okay rather, so I'd then my question for you is at home have you ever made this pasta the pasta cisardi. Um, yeah, my, my wife is a big sardine lover. So yes, we have had pasta la sarde. Um, it's it's a big Sicilian dish. Um, a lot of it's got garlic and breadcrumbs and tomato, and it's it's really wonderful if you if you're into sardines. You have you have to be into the sardines. I yeah, love the sardines. Was- I, I grew to love sardines. I didn't really like them until my wife got me into them. Yeah, I I love sardines, but I don't. I think it's. I mean, sardines with. As the main component of a pasta dish, it's 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 as a it's um it's an acquired taster. I don't know it's if it's for everyone. Right, right, exactly. But, but it's you know there's spaghetti and clams, people like that, right? And then it, this is this is just a lot stronger. But yeah, it's, it's a really good fish for you for your cholesterol, apparently. <laughs> yeah, and it makes sense that I get the yeah you're cooking you're cooking great Italian at home. Why are you going to go to a restaurant? But I love checking out restaurants. So that's what I do. <laughs> okay. So it's time for the final question. So next week, uh, I've had a little scheduling issues. So I'm not, my, let's just say my guest next week is a mystery. So we're going to skip ahead to the week after that. And I'm going to ask you to ask her a question, Anthony. So my guest the week of October 19th is going to be um, Amy Emberling, and mm-hmm. she is one of the original bakers and current partners at the legendary Zingerman's Bakehouse in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Go blue. I went to University of Michigan, so I know Zingerman's, and I'm so excited to have her on the show. So, Anthony, can you please ask a question for Amy? I, by the way, when you told me that she was coming, um, I was excited. Um, I'm a big Zingerman's dork. I love, love, love that catalog. Um, but also, her resume is insane. Like I can't wait to hear how 
someone who went to Harvard uh, for their undergrad and then an MBA at Columbia winds up as head baker <laughs> in, a, in a not just any old bakery, but like you know, like it 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 makes brilliant sense the MBA because then she was yeah obviously she's applying that to the business side of the bakery, but it's I think that's just an amazing amazing um, journey and I love I, I can't wait to hear about it. I'll be listening for that one to hear how she got there. Um, can I ask a self-serving question? Of course you can. I am still back on the fact you called yourself a dork. Okay, go ahead. Um, you, I know, I th- I'm pretty sure you know about my side gig, which is side gig super salt. Do we, do we? Yes, yes. Okay. I'm glad you're bringing it up. So, so I have this this crazy salt that you could Google and it'll come up right away. But um, when I was testing it through my importer, uh, my wonderful friend, Cecilia Ercolino from Italian Products. She has a humongous stand every year at the Fancy Food Show. And she's she's been around for uh, 25 years or so. So everybody knows her and everybody comes through, like literally like Martha Stewart's team came through and, and Rachel Ray's team. And there were all these waves and waves and waves of people coming to see what Cecilia was bringing into the country this year. But she gave me the opportunity to test Super Salt. This is back in 2019 when we were just... I was still making it in my, you know, on my dining room table, um, like drying it out here on the table and driving my neighbors crazy with all this exotic, savory garlic uh, salt being dried by radiators. Um, she got it in front of the Zingerman's head buyer who said to me, um, it was a wonderful guy whose name escapes me for the second, but he was one of the head buyers for, for gourmet products. And he said, don't let anybody talk you out of how you produce this because everyone's going to have advice to make it easier and faster um, and safer to make. Mine, the way I make it is was until I figured out a production method, very risky because rosemary and garlic in anything that you try to dry are troublemakers. They never dry. You may think they're dry. They may turn as hard as rocks but they're never dry. And we would send it out to the lab and we'd come back with moisture, even though they've been drying for six months. So he said, um, stick to your guns. And when you're ready to send it to us, we'd love to try it. And I haven't done it yet because you know life got in the way. But when you said she was coming, Amy was coming, I thought, oh my God, I need to get some jars out to them. So I would love to send her a jar and see what she how she might apply. I, I have a lot of bread making friends who use it in loaves of uh, bulls and baguettes and things like that. Um, our mutual friend, Dan Richer at Ratza used it on his pizza and he's baked it into breads too. So I would love to see what a master baker thinks of this and Zingerman's in general. I love, I mean, I, this might, I'm trying to think if it's a first where I've had a guest ask the guests if they can um, send them <laughs> a product. But I have a feeling she's going to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm glad I asked you to ask her a question. It's a cool, cool um, to connect. I want. I do want to know though. I'm. 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 I'm very serious about listening. Yeah. No. Her I, like, I, I hear her background you. Background is crazy, crazy, crazy. I hear you. I will find out, and um, and I'm excited to hear her story too. I mean, yeah. It's um, yeah. Zingerman's is is uh it's an institution it's like it's people people know it and uh beyond i felt very lucky that i i got to go there having gone to school in ann arbor so and i'm due to go back so due to go back anyways um that's the show we could go we could talk and talk but um uh gotta gotta end this at some point so 
Thank you so much for joining me. You're incredible. I feel very fortunate that I've gotten to know you through events, really. I feel that's like our every time if there's a food and wine event going on, you're typically there and very busy and running off to teach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which I love to do. I just love it. Yeah. Well, you're you're great at it. Your whole and your whole career is so so impressive. So congratulations Thank on you, everything. Shari. And I look forward to seeing you soon, I hope. Absolutely. Thanks, Sherry, so much. It's been such a pleasure to be to speak with you today. Thank you. So my guest today has been Anthony Giglio. He's a wine and spirits authority, and you can check him out and everything that he's doing on his website, anthonygiglio.com, and on Instagram at anthonygiglio. And his last name is pronounced or is spelled G-I-G-L-I-O. And you can follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Kevin Chang Barnum. And thanks again to Anthony. I'm your host and producer, Sherry Bayer. I will be back next week with a new show. Hope you'll tune in then, and thank you, as always, for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.